Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. On today's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about swimming, animals, and we have part two of our interview with Jeff Brazier from the podcast Only Human. Welcome to another episode of The Kindness Project. I'm joined by a girl who has just shown me, by putting her password into her phone, that she has got the world's fastest fingers. It's um, it's Charlotte Dames. And a man who's got a green thumb, it's Russ Dames. How are you doing, chaps? Not too bad, thank you. Sorry? I don't type that fast. You should do. You know what? I can type really fast on a keyboard. I can't type massively fast on a phone. Can no, you, Rob? No, can I? We weren't brought up on phone, so weren't we? We would brought back up on keyboard. <laughs> back in the back in the year two thousand. Back, back in the day, it was all keyboards, wasn't it? Oh, stop okay. saying stuff like that. Your back's going to start in any minute now. No, my, my back is fine, mate. My back's all good. Mate. Oh, mine's not. Actually, my arms are out today because I did a swim yesterday. That's um, on you. Uh, what do you mean, that's on me? It's called exercise. That was 200 yeah. lengths, wasn't it? 200 lengths. It was the Swimathon 2022. What uh, was your time? Uh, let's not talk about that. Three um, hours. Uh, it was very slow. It was two hours something, and it wasn't It wasn't quick. I did, I did get to one point, Russ, where I was so slow, the woman came over to Cassie, who was... Uh, had the unenviable task of, um, of of counting all the laps and said, "Is he all right? He looks a bit. Um, he, he looks struggling a bit." You haven't got up to marathon level yet, then. Uh, well, you know what? I don't know what a swimming marathon is because that was two hundred lengths was five k, right? <laughs> Uh, the open water swim challenge I want to do later in the year yeah. is open water, so you're not stopping, but it's actually only two and a half k. Um, so it's um, it, it's the equivalent of a hundred lengths, but um, done like just you're, you're swimming in a lake. You, you're yeah. just doing it consistently. So actually, the London Marathon events you do London Marathon, they're big. Um, their big swimming challenge is a lot less distance-wise than 26 miles. I wouldn't fancy swimming 26 miles. What time of year did I do that, though? September. Oh, oh not so bad, then. Yeah. I don't know whether... I was planning on doing it this year, but as me and you were away in July... What's the date for it in September? End of September. Oh, I'll be gone. <laughs> I'm not saying you're going to do it, am I? No. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know yet, mate, whether um, whether I'll do it this year, because the problem is if I am if I need to train, uh, I'm I'm losing July yeah. because we're away uh, on our little trip uh, across Europe in July. So we'll have to wait and see. But um, if not, I'll do it next year and we'll, uh, we'll see how we go. Are you a swimmer, us? Because I know like, on last week's episode, you talked about your... Um, your rubber shirts i love why are you laughing <laughs> i i like i mean in swimming you actually get to wear a rubber hat Have you tried I, 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 I can swim Russ doesn't wear hats <laughs> oh yeah i forgot oh, about no. Russell's oh, no. rubber head it's fine Russ, because when you're in the water with your rubber hat you're actually you need to keep the heat in i don't know why i bother turning up Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I can swim. I haven't been swimming in a very long time. 
but you haven't been swimming in a very long time. So, yeah. so if you were swimming, would you wear your famous rubber shirt and rubber hat, or would you that you're even more famous hot air? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know what I usually do on Zoom, turn up naked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know I what? don't recommend that, Russ, if you're going into a public place. Uh, there's a thing called public I'm, indecency. And I've... Tell me, tell me, you had to turn up swimming with that shirt off and him with that. Sorry, are you, are you saying Russell shouldn't turn up swimming with that shirt? Talking of swimming, I prefer swimming the sea than I do in the swimming pool. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I like swimming in the sea. Um, but um, the uh, bit that I haven't done yet, and I need to get some practicing, and I'm going to try and do this over the summer, is open water, like lake swimming, dock swimming. I've never that. tried it. No, well, me neither. And apparently, you need a wet wetsuit because it yeah. is cold, cold, cold. So we'll see how we get on with that, and uh, and, and go from there. Right, question of the podcast time. Ladies and gents, mm-hmm. uh, and this week's question of the podcast is no unofficial question of the podcast, uh, swimming related. What's the weirdest place you've had to swim? Raspberry well, shorts. That'd be is in the bath, bath, wouldn't it? Sorry, that'd be in the bath. You swim in the bath, dear. That's how that's how kids learn to swim in the bath. No, you just put them in the swimming pot and give them supervision. I didn't learn to swim in the bath. I don't think I learned to swim in the bath. How deep is your bath? And why is your bath? It's a normal bath, but you learn to do the strokes in the bath, don't you? Oh, when you're trying to escape, yeah, yeah. As a baby, you mean? Yeah. Not last week, Bryce, yeah? (laughs) Not last week, no. You're still learning in the bath. That's the only exercise I don't get in the bath having to swim. Bath swim, but that's a. I tell you what, that's a new sport. International <coughs> bath swimming, and what you've got to do is just try and get as much water out of the bath while you're swimming. Um, to to do that, I went on a holiday once, um, and they had a big splash contest. I think you would be legendary at that, Russ. I think swimming is one of the most entertaining sports to watch when it's not humans doing it. Like, have you seen the pig swimming? No. Oh, my God. What's pig swimming? Uh, I don't think that's what it's called, but it's the one where the pig jumps off the little platform into the water, paddles through. I know, <laughs> like, no. I'd pay for money to watch different animals swim. <laughs> I mean, dog swimming are... You know what I love about when dogs swim? They just go in with so much enthusiasm. I I tell you what always amazes me: the people that shower their cats. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, they, yeah, I know. They give the cats a bath and stuff like that. So, so have I missed something? Where have you two seen showering cats? Yeah, TikTok. Is yeah, it Instagram? And you know what I see on TikTok? I see on BBC News because I sometimes watch it in the morning. A girl on TikTok with a hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah, she owns a hedgehog. You can have hedgehogs hedgehogs as pets legally in the UK, Russ. Right, so she owns a hedgehog. I don't think... Yeah, quite a famous hedgehog. They're not particularly affectionate, though, are they? Oh, no, they're so sweet. Yeah, they are. She said it sits and nibbles on her neck and everything, yeah. Amazing. Does she ever get a, a hedgehog prickle in her... Uh, she said, once you get used to the sharpness of it, 
Sorry, why would I want to get used to the sharpness of that? Why people that show they you know, form canises, don't they? Where they keep pricking their finger. Oh, I know a kid and he was a BMX biker and he had the calluses along his hands. Yeah, no, I, I, get, I get that. I get that. I get why sewing or knitting, is, or not, actually it's more sewing than knitting, isn't it? Sewing as a hobby might, like, you might want to build those calluses up and stuff like that. What I don't want to do, Russ, is build a protective shell from a hedgehog when I haven't even got to have a hedgehog. And it sounded like the sort of savannah. That's exactly right. Because the crickets were like going, and it's exactly like right. you were living in the jungle, wasn't it? It was, it was absolutely crazy in the middle of is, East London. Is this, uh, is this your petition for us to get a pet spider? I, no, oh. it's not. I mean, that is where you get it from, though. Most of uh, the things you enjoy as an adult, you learn from your, your parents. We're not getting a frog either, so. Um, no, petition for us to get a spider and call it Charlotte Jr. No. My, my mum was called Charlotte. My I mean, first spider was called Charlotte. I mean, I mean. After Charlotte's web, not you. But... <laughs> After Charlotte's web, not you. It's okay, my, Russ. My, it's okay. Not you. Okay. Oh, no, no. I've already had stick insects named don't after worry, me. Don't worry so about I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've had stick insects named after me, so uh, you're fine. Two, two things I want to say. Number one, I'm not getting a hedgehog. No. Uh, I'm more likely to get a rubber shirt than a hedgehog. Oh, my. Number two, um, uh, what, what are you getting? Now you've just admitted to Charlotte that you named your... Um, my, my second spider was called Webster. Webster, right. Bad. I Kevin Webster. <laughs> Kevin Webster from Coronation Street. But <laughs> right. not the fat man Webster. Because spiders win. Tell me your third one was called Dirty Dead. No. Oh, right. What was your third one called? I haven't had a third one. We've only had two. But if you were to get a third one, what would you call it? I don't know. Oh, sorry. I've had three spiders. Charlotte, bro. <laughs> How many spiders you've had? Sorry, Charlotte, bro. How many is? Charlotte, Rose, and Webster. Rose? Because she was a Chilean Rose. Ah. Fair enough. Quite a literal naming then. 
Kevin Webster from the Coronation Street. <laughs> I, I wouldn't used to get a fourth one and call it Roy Proper. That's what I want. Um, uh, apologies if you're not a Coronation Street fan and don't know who Roy Proper is. Yeah, no, I'm there, confused. There is a official question of the podcast, uh, which is, um, what's the best present you've never actually received? Uh, and there are, you know, what present did you always want that you never actually got, Russ? I know exactly the answer to this. Tell me. I still haven't received me potato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next time you're down. Every, every time the post goes, I'm thinking to myself, that's not me no MacBook or any other gadgets I buy through the month. That's going to be me potato that Chrissy promised me in like 2007. Right, I will get you, my friend, a potato. Do you mind if I might, don't post it, but just throw it at you next time you're down? <laughs> Is that going to be all right? I'll tell you what I'm waiting for, the best present I never received. My clicker. <laughs> Where's my clicker gone? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, if you didn't listen last week, ladies and gents, uh, I, I've been looking everywhere. I had a presentation to do a couple of weeks ago, looking everywhere for my clicker. That is true. Bus, where's my clicker? Oh, I haven't got it, mate. I haven't got it. I, I definitely put it on the table. And suddenly last week, the rubber clad clicker nicker. Um, <laughs> and my Kenny found it about an hour after we had that conversation. I said, You know, <laughs> I, I, I love the way you're trying to throw <laughs> Kelly under the bus. Kelly found it. Your responsibility, Russ. Your responsibility. Yeah. So, so for me, for Russ, it's a potato. For me, it's a clicker. What pre present have you, uh, best present you've never received? I don't know. What would you have loved? Okay. I mean, you, to be honest. Come, come to think of it, how would you know it's the best present because you've never received it? I reckon I reckon the best way to answer this question is, is it something you wanted, <laughs> like something you really, really wanted, and you just never got to do it? Um, or never got to play with it or experience it or, or do whatever you want with it? Oh, that's... You know what I would have loved to do, and I, I still could, because they are available on eBay and other uh, online shopping services. Do you remember us, when we were kids, there was a game, like, it was like an early video game called the Tomitronic. Yeah. And you used to be able to, have to like, hold it up to your eyes. Yeah, play, I they remember. They were like, in were the they? early 80s. They were, were they? No, <laughs> That technology in the early 80s. Carla, I tell you what, if you've got the time to it right now, you'd still love it. That, that was, now, why is she looking it, like that? Look, that I, was in our childhood. The Oculus Rift is now. I still, <laughs> see, I'm a bit knack about VR in general, if I'm being honest. No, it wasn't VR. It, it was, I mean, I, 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 I get the comparison you're making, Russ. I think it was... I just, I, th I thought it was amazing. I absolutely loved it. Did and we had two of them, and there was five, five or six available. I'm, I'm, I might do it, actually. I might try and get the entire collection of Tomitronics. I can pinpoint what I didn't get that I really wanted. Was the potato? The, the, no, not the potato. The, the banana. The model rail, the railway Lego set. 
always, always when we was growing up, always into Lego. And I wanted to train set, but we didn't have room for it. Oh. Yeah, I, I would have fancied like a, a big style scale electrics, I think. I would have yeah. fancied that. We never had. We, we couldn't have anything like that because we didn't have room at home, did we? We had plenty of room, Russ. We had plenty of room. I think you were, I th we had plenty of space. Just the reason that was given was, uh, sorry, we haven't got enough space. It's just easy, isn't it? Sorry, mate, we haven't got enough space. Well, for this, no. We're getting a new telly, though, and a fish tank and stuff like that. What, what not enough space means, Russ, and this is parents' fault. I'm sure because my, my, my kids are listening. Yeah. Is, uh, you, we haven't got enough space for the stuff you want, but for the stuff that I want to buy, that's that is, true. That, 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 that is not enough space. Oh, yeah. That is not oh, enough yeah. space. Oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we, we've now not got enough space for Charlotte, so she's obviously uni. That, Oh, please. It's more like I haven't got enough space for you. <laughs> <lot>. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, the official question of the podcast is, as we've said, um, uh, what's the best present that you never, ever received? What did you always want but never received? And you can tell us the answer to that particular question for you using the following um ways to get in touch ah uh, yes ways i am intimately familiar with ways um we have ways of making you answer the question of the podcast the, the way the ways is begging and pleading and directing you to our socials <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on twitter, <laughs> on twitter we're at all kindness on facebook it's if you type the kindness project into the search bar, we should come up. If you want to email us directly, it's Ola at the kindnessproject.co.uk. If you want to find our website, which will have all the links to the social media, I assume, Russ, it's www.thekindnessproject.co.uk. But if you want to go directly to the website from Google rather than through your search bar, top of the thing, uh, it's the kindness project podcast. If we're not the first one, I'm so sorry for your loss. <laughs> um, we cannot afford to pay for your grievances. <laughs> also, also um, plan on adding the mailing list feature to the website this week. Oh, yeah. Mailing so, list. So we are... Right, talk to us about new stuff that's happening on the Kindness Project. Yeah, so, so we've got a few things coming up. We're, we're building a mailing list. <laughs> And we're, we're looking at getting on some collaborations with other podcasts in our sector. Yeah, so we, I mean, we really like it on the Kindness Project that we get introduced <laughs> to a lot of amazing guests who come in and tell us about their stuff. Um, what I'd ask is that we are looking to collaborate more. So if you do know somebody, particularly one, somebody who hosts the podcast um, uh, in our space, in the space of just sharing good stuff that's happening in the world, please do get in touch because we'd love to help them, help each other, uh, support, collaborate, work together. So please let us know if there's anybody uh, that um, that you think we should be introduced to. Because as we said, a lot of our best uh, guests comes from um, us, you know, being introduced. Recommendations, to yeah. Yeah, exactly. So please do let us know. And uh, when Russ... Uh, designs the new limited edition kindness project mug 
we might buy you a Kindness Project mug, mug just to say thank you. How about that? You, I've just made that gonna, up. Are you going to do that then? Russ is going to do that, ain't you, Russ? Have you got the bank balance for that? How much is it going to cost? I don't, I don't see when... Well, it depends on how many people want to recommend people. Sorry, why are the rules for the recommendations? So... If we have the people on the podcast, do they get a mug then, or is it just a recommendation? Uh, they get a mug if their recommendation becomes a guest. So, so uh, you've been framed rules. And yeah, exactly. Yes, you've been <laughs> framed rules. You get your two hundred and fifty quid. You don't get two hundred and fifty quid. You just yep. get a mug <laughs> if um, your guest appears on the show. So it's a it's a bit like pointless. You always get a trophy, but. There's no cash prize at the end. No, it's not that pointless, Russ. Could you get an opportunity it's, to win a cash prize? Well, if they recommend themselves, though. Oh, do you get a mug if you recommend yourself? Yes. Um, well, clearly, clearly the person not paying for any of the mugs yeah. is the one making the choice about whether we give away more mugs right. or not. Well, you know, if we just distribute them about and then one day they'll be in, like, charity shops and stuff and people will have to look up what's on the mug and then we'll get more listeners. This so. is, this is, this is the whole uh, joint travel budget all over again. Yeah, I know, I know. And now you're paying. My money's our money. My money's our money. That that is right. is At the start of this podcast, I didn't have a mug budget. And suddenly I'm starting to worry about my mug budget. My mug budget is going to be more than my fuel bill. You're you're sounding distinctly like the Simpsons there. What? They have a budget for everything, don't they, the Simpsons? I want a mug budget. I want a college project mug budget. What was my budget? Send me a budget. I don't know what your budget is. Oh, okay. It depends on how many guests we have. Fair enough. Well, if we get enough guests, I, I, I will invest very happily. Just, just send me an open check and I'll... Uh, <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> a limit, no limit mug budget. I'm not doing that. On that note, before I send Russ an open check for this unlimited <laughs> collection of mugs... Um, we will move on to kindness news. And the first bit of kindness news. You done? You done? You done? You done? You done? <laughs> I just see Brown's cracking up about something or other. You done? You definitely done. You done? <laughs> right, come on, Carl, just before we move on to kindness news, Russ. <laughs> Let me just talk about my strange daughter, right? She's had this thing over the last few weeks. Look at her laughing, look. She's had this thing over the last few weeks where she'll just wander up to me and just do this. No, you're doing it wrong. I've got it. Nothing wrong with that. And I know. Look at him shaking his head. She'll just wander up and go. Um, and expect me to reply with the phrase and I won't <laughs> is it like a secret language then just going should have got a cat not a dog should have got a spider should have got an hedgehog <laughs> what noise does an hedgehog make 
And then like a high pitched squealy noise. Go on, give us an impression. Oh, no, I'm not. It's terrible. We get them out of the back garden. And uh, don't get me wrong, they're, they're nice enough. <laughs> but once they start making that high pitched squeal, the dog goes crackers. <laughs> what? Oh, so many questions, Charlotte. <laughs> so many questions. Number one, why are the hedgehogs winding your dog up? Number, number two, hey, why have you got so many hedgehogs in your back garden? Because number, number three, you were selling hedgehogs to me last week, and suddenly you're like, you're, no, you're, the, the, the pygmy hedgehogs live in a vivarium indoors. The hedgehogs you keep as pets, the ones in the oh, garden are lovely. Don't get me wrong. They're lovely. I, I leave them they're alone. Lovely. They do their own thing. They do whatever they want. But I leave just backing onto me is like a little wooded area. Right. And they come off the wooded area and make this squeaking noise, make Snoopy go crackers. Why do they make a squeaking noise? What's the reason? It, it, it's just what they do. It's just what they do. It must be communicating with each other. And added to that, I live in quite a rural area and the bloody bird noise in the morning. <laughs> Sergeant Mona. I mean, I mean, you sound like such an old man. You're bloody bird. Noise. I used to like the morning bird noises. I don't know what because we used to have a tree that used to sort of hang in the. It wasn't ours. It was next door. I'm known to my friends as Victor. Victor Mildred. Huh? Reference completely lost on Charlotte. Let's move on to Chinese news. On that, on that yes, note, yes, uh, shall. Uh, um, whereas. Russell talks about the hedgehogs being both lovely and really annoying. It's like when you're talking about a person and you don't want to be rude. So you go, yeah, they're nice, but like... It's true. They're nice and all. Let's talk about kindness because this is a uh, podcast where we highlight the amazing things people are doing in the world, not Russell's <laughs> hatred, hatred of hedgehogs. <laughs> um, charity, this is one from February 2021. Uh, we're, so we're going... Back in time, charity urges kindness to help rough sleepers amid freezing wet weather. If you do decide to give someone money, do it in good faith as one human being to another as a matter of kindness. Uh, showing rough sleepers a little kindness this winter could be the turning point for us. Where, Russ, producer Russ, why are you giving me a news story from winter 2021? Sorry. Go, well, early 2021. In May 2022. Let me, let me tell you the relevance of it. Right. When we was meant to bring this out, originally, we was going through quite a cold snap. And I thought it was relevant because donating to homeless people in the cold weather. Look, let's be honest, donating to the homeless and... Important uh, in all weathers. Important in all weathers. And this is going to be a really good reminder. Just don't look out the window and, and look at the sun and go, it's pointless, all right? Because it is still... It remains important. Yeah, whether it's freezing cold or boiling hot, donating to homeless people is still important. And they're both in extreme temperatures. Right now, I can't, I can't bear to look at the sun, so... 
Well, Eddie don't turn into a moment from Charlotte. I can't bear to look at the sun. <laughs> this is because this is gone really. Russell's going. I hate them bloody hedgehogs. Charlotte's going. Oh, I can't I, bear to look at the sun. I accidentally announced the fact that I don't like the sun to my entire psychology class. He's going to start asking for donations. I can't, but yeah. <laughs> can you please, can you please help Charlotte with her <laughs> hatred of the sun by sending one pound to uh, to, the, to the Charlotte Dave's sun cream appeal? Um, <laughs> don't need sun cream. Hashtag buy Charlotte Dave's and sunglasses. I have two pairs. I just have to put them over my glasses, and they keep falling off. Buy it, Charlotte Dame some prescription sunglasses <laughs> so she hasn't got to wear 12 glasses at the same time. Right, we are talking about people who really need our help, ladies. <laughs> yes, 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 um, yes, yes. Uh, uh, showing rough sleepers, a little kindness this winter could be the turning <laughs> Or summer. Or summer. The summer can be or, equally as rough. Or summer, Russ. Russ, can we do better research on these news articles? Um, could be the turning point to help them off the streets. The head of one of the lead, uh, UK's leading homelessness charities has said, shocking images of people queuing for food support during some of the coldest weather seen in Britain for a decade has prompted many to ask charities on social media what they can do to help. Um, and I then I can't get access. This is just poor us. <laughs> I then can't get access to the rest of the article because it's behind. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. It's not behind the payroll. Apologies, Russ. <laughs> Temperatures plunged to minus 23 degrees overnight in Scotland, the coldest temperature recorded in the UK since 1995. John Sparks, chief executive of Crisis, told the PA news agency, if people feel confident enough to go up and try and talk to somebody, my first piece of advice is to ask them what they need. That's a decent mm. piece of advice, isn't it? If you do decide, and we've done that, I mean, we've done that in the past when people have been homeless to try and help them. If you do decide to to, to give someone money, do it in good faith as one human being to another as a matter of kindness. I personally would rather buy it, ask somebody what they need mm, and buy it for yeah. them, to be honest. Um, he added, the people I talk to often tell me that mo the moment someone showed them some kindness was a real turning point for them. Uh, Mr. Sparks praised the government said in the first phase of lockdown to get everybody in secure accommodation, but he urged ministers to signal loud and clear to local authorities that it is equally vital that everyone is off the streets in the current wave of the pandemic. This is amazing, Russ. Well, well done for, for <laughs> highlighting this news story, just as the pandemic is coming to a close. Um, in London, 533 people were placed in COVID-19 emergency accommodation. That's 535. 535 people were placed in COVID-19 emergency accommodation between October and December. 2020. A, a 58-cent drop on the previous quarter, according to data from the Combined Homelessness and Information Network. So, basically... It's so important, uh, both, um, you know what's interesting, I think it's important to um, to make sure that we're in a position where we don't forget that homeless people post-COVID exist. Mm. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to turn this ship around for you, Russ. Mm. Post-COVID exist, mm. and the fact that 
you know, we all, we still need to support us yeah. as people. And even um, in, because obviously that article was talking about winter um, and sort of the extreme conditions of winter being hard for homeless, homeless people. But then you've also got to remember that summer can be hard as well if you're without access to cool air, water, shelter. Yeah. shelter. They never start conversations started. Yeah, you know, you know what's you know what's interesting. Try and salvage the and we've, we've got a really interesting interview coming up with a lady called Martha Lawton, who's going to be in a on a future episode of the podcast. I've recorded the interview already. Yeah, and she, part of her previous roles was um, uh, helping uh, people who've been on the streets and had drug and alcohol problems previously with. Um, understand how to manage their money and trying to help them move forward into better lives and what she realized was uh, and I've, we've had this conversation before those people you assume are, uh, well actually you don't assume but those people are in a position where um, she felt that it was surprisingly close to her position so you assume that these people have fundamentally different but they're in that position even though at some point in their lives it may have been all going swimmingly and you know due to mental health due to a small thing that changed you know tragedy due to relationships breaking up actually they moved into that situation where they fell into you know drug abuse or alcoholism or whatever it may be just you know they were intelligent, ordinary people um, who had just fallen on sort of a, a bit of bad luck. So I think if we can be grateful enough to always remember that we're not a million miles away from those people in those streets, and, you know, it, the kind thing to do is to help support and give back, I think that's really important. Yeah, what do you guys reckon? That's right. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm totally yeah. agree. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, next one, which is a bit more up to date, Russ. Well done on this yeah. one. Um, <laughs> Sevens raises $864,750 for uh, Ukraine. From March. Um, from March. Well done, Russ. We've got a relatively up to date news article. Amazing production work there. Um, Chris Evans' auction for Ukraine on Virgin Radio has raised £864,750, which will go towards the Disasters Emergency Committee. More than 100 prizes were donated for the auction, including only all the rights to an unpublished song by Boy George, which he wrote about Ukraine after the performing in the country. A bid and breakfast extravaganza at Chris's house, a VIP pub in the park lunch hosted by Matthew Good, Matt Smith, Hugh Bonneville and Colin Firth, um, and tickets to Las Vegas for a meet and greet with Rod Stewart and a three-night Caesars Palace. Listeners also gave more than 20000 through the donate button outside of the bids, um, and Chris Evans told Liz listeners the frothy coffee man has done the best job ever with this basically everybody we contacted to get involved said yes honestly when when we launched it we thought a hundred thousand would be great five hundred thousand would be beyond a dream and eight hundred thousand would be unbelievable thank you so amazing work from chris evans and his uh, celebrity truck chums in raising so much money for well you didn't like that. you didn't like the word chums there no what should we call it then friends mates chris evans and his celebrity mates 
Um, His merry band of celebrities would no, have been preferable no, to Chums. No, you've taken it too far. <laughs> I'm going back to Chums. No, Chris Evans and his celebrity Chums um, uh, did a brilliant job. Let's move on to this uh, 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 element of interview. the interview. I've got the word interview. The interview this is the next segment. The podcast segment as the word, as the other <laughs> word. The, the next segment, which is the interview. This week, we've got the second part of our interview with Jeff Brazier. Jeff Brazier hosts his own podcast called uh, uh, Only Human, uh, available in all good podcast places. Uh, is um, a football commentator, helps uh, people with life planning, uh, uh, life coach, but he also does amazing stuff in talking about grief and talking about mental health and doing some just positive stuff in his local community, arranging walks so that people can have a come along and have a chat, um, which is really, really good. So enjoy the second part of the interview with Jeff. If you haven't heard the first part yet, uh, you can go on to um, episode one, Russ. Episode one, two, uh, sorry, two, two, seven. One, two, 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 seven. <laughs> oh, I didn't realise we'd done that many. One, two, two, seven. One, uh, 227 to listen to the first bit. Let's listen to the second bit. And what gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it that like you love to do? I think at the minute, it's uh, you, you talk about community and bringing people together. <clears throat> and it's funny because that's, that's actually my main focus at the moment. I've always got a bit of a project going on and it will come under the the umbrella of, of being a coach and, um, and, and trying to help people. But what shifted was within the last two years, you realized that self-development and looking after yourself used to be just something that maybe you was lucky enough to have the time to do um, or the inclination to go down that path. Whereas now I see it as a necessity. I think that um, we're, we're carrying more uncertainty um, than I think we've probably ever dealt with. Um, and as I say, I explain the childhood to you. you know, it feels familiar. It feels like something is, there's a little alarm bell ringing that's sort of telling me that I don't think you have to be particularly perceptive to see that it'll have an impact on everybody. I think that there's a lot of people that will be worried about their income. There's a lot of people that will be worried about paying their, 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 their fuel bills and things like that and getting around. So um, with more stress comes more, more issues and, and potentially more psychological damage. So, uh, my whole thing at the moment is, as you suggested, just getting people together around community hubs. Because I think when people are together as as a as a group and as a uh, as a tribe, if you like, you 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 then find the solutions naturally and quite easily. Um, when we are isolated, which a lot of us feel, uh, um, we've spent more time in our houses over the last two years than we have generally. Um, and I think that leaves you alone with your own thoughts. And I think sometimes that is good for some people who like their own company and are fairly good at keeping balance. Um, whereas I know it's really bad for others who require that human connectedness in order to be able to, to navigate through life. You know what? I, th I think what's interesting, and, and again, I'm, I'm slightly off topic, but I'll talk about it because it's relevant. I think there's a real demand for community at the minute as well. So uh, one of the things that I do is, a, and, and, and the weird thing is that my experience was, um, it was coming from a slightly different place. It was as a business owner. So 
where we are in Havering um, during lockdown, running a business, particularly during COVID, felt really lonely. Um, and I've got, you know, same as you, I've got people, I've got a team of people who work with me, really amazingly fortunate that the business continued. But some of those challenges of running the business in that sort of environment felt you know, I hadn't managed before and I didn't know what to do. So one of one of the things that we did during lockdown is just set up a little Facebook community called Havering Means Business and just invite other business owners along, mainly as therapy for me, Jeff, to turn around and go, who can I talk to about these challenges that I'm facing? Um, and within a year, we had 850 business owners in that community. Um, so it shows that actually you... you for me, it's always that case. What, what do we do about it? And what we did about it is start that community and, and, and built it and made it grow. But I think there's just a real demand and desire to connect, isn't there? On you know, maybe it doesn't matter what the identifying factor is, but just if you can feel that connection, that's really important. Well, that connection is the antithesis to everything we've been through over the last two years. We've been we've been separated. And it's become normalised for us to feel less connected to to one another. Um, and you use a great example. I think it's actually easier for us to connect when we actually um, start, uh, I, I guess, seeing the importance of it. And you've now got a network of 850 other business owners, which will no doubt be, be useful for many reasons. But yeah. it's what I'd like to do for your average individual lives yeah. in an area, you know, where we can identify a local community hub it might yep. be a really cool coffee shop that you know people like to, to hang out that's got a bit of room in there um, you know it's not it's not necessarily um exclusive to, to coffee shops but that's where i've started in my local one um and all you do is get a few coaches practitioners together um not not just talking therapists actually but it might be you know people who are experienced in business that can run particular workshops on their, their specialist subjects and it'll always be of interest to enough people to, to validate getting 30 40 people together yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to share. and of course when you when you are getting people together under the guise of oh this is a workshop about it might be grief it might be anxiety or, or it might be saying slightly more cheery um then all of a sudden again human instinct just kicks in and people make connections and all of a sudden it's like Oh, I feel the same as you about that subject. Why don't we meet for a coffee next week? And I, it's, I'm, I see myself as a facilitator. So yeah. that, that that's right now. I'm I'm working as a facilitator to just to just get this um, this first kind of venture off and up and running. So it's like a template. I can then say, right, I'm coming to Hornchurch. Tell me where your community hub is. Um, I'm going to go there, I'm going to speak to them, I'm going to find some coaches in the area, I'm going to get them communicating, then we're going to get some workshops out, then we're going to do some walk and talks. So and all of a sudden, I'd love, I love the idea of having, you know, it might be, first of all, you have five, and then you have 10, and then all of a sudden, you've got 50 yeah. of these community hubs around the country that are all following this very easy template. And how many people have, have have found friends or found reassurance you know what that reminds me of that reminds me of part our park run started you yeah know what i mean park yeah. run was yeah. a very community driven thing wasn't it it was like mm -hmm. the growth of that was all about look it's 5k you know and if you're not a runner i know it's probably not your thing but 5k just go out 
doesn't matter what time you do we're all doing it together saturday morning we'll just put some framework around it and it just helps doesn't it exactly right it was simple and it was consistent and uh, as a result it grew like exponentially it was um and and i've not done one for you you reminded me i need to i need to probably get out funny enough i did the uh havering half marathon which i think you did last year as well i was there yeah so i i I did that as part of my marathon training so i did the london marathon last year um um, i was a lot slower than you mate i've got to be honest i like oh i can't remember but um, but yeah, it was um, it was a, it was a really so um, I haven't done a park run since 2019, I don't think. But I really like the idea of the community. One one of the things that you talked about, and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, is that is that grief. You know, thinking about grief, to working with grief, help, help helping people get through it. And I know you wrote a book uh, talking about some some of the practical things you can do to. Um, cope with that grief talk to me a bit about that but the way i look at loss and again this is this is not sort of um this is something that i've come across just because of of coaching so many bereaved clients and you see the patterns whilst everybody's experience of loss is completely unique um there will always be some crossover and i think the best way i can explain it is that there's the natural measure of loss if you imagine like half of that 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 glass is full of all of the things that we would naturally do because that's our our body and our nervous system reacting to the biggest shock um, that we can experience in life. Um, So all those things that are natural are meant to happen. Um, You know, they're they're meant to be present. And if we can get our head around those things, um, then generally grief is going to be the the sort of experience that I guess we can predict or that we um, come to expect to an extent. Then what we always find with people is that um, some some of us are better at it than others. And when I say better, I mean sort of the opposite. In that there are additional layers. Um, there are things like blame and guilt um, that we um, that, that we that we actually add to that what is natural, and it, it tops the glass right up to the top. So whenever I'm with a, a, a bereaved client. Um, the, the quick the quick gains that we can always make is to help us to understand what it is that we're doing that is actually making an already devastating experience actually slightly more complicated than it needs to be. Can we simplify it in that can we just not make it as hard as it already is anyway? Removing some of those elements, right? We, we do, yeah. And a lot of those areas that I'm talking about, in case anyone's wondering, is that sometimes, you know, the biggest misconception is what is strength in loss. And I think um, there might have been, a, a you know, a few decades ago that the general approach would be um, stoic and that we're, you know, we're not going to share how we feel because that's weakness. And I, I don't want to, if I cry, I might make somebody else cry. And that would be the worst thing we could possibly do. So it, 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 kind of culminates in a, in a society that, that has normalised suppression. Um, yeah. Now, you know, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, suppression in loss is the worst thing you can do because if you imagine you've got like a pressure cylinder within us, uh, within ourselves, and um, that will build and build and build. And if we're not letting a little bit out when and as in a natural way, which would be to cry, to, to be angry, <laughs> to vent, to, to talk, to remember you know, do any of those things that are quite natural for us to do on any other subject, um, then 
you know, the the the, the pressure will always sort of go up and down. It will subside as well as as well as grow. Um, I, suppose, I suppose part of that, and I, I'm with you. But I think you know we 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 need to make sure that um, uh, we talk, be vulnerable talk about frustrations all of that sort of stuff mm. i think i think you know and this isn't a sexist thing i think women are more better yeah, far better at that than men in my experience um and uh but the the interesting thing is that element of i, I, I suppose we learn things from our parents both good and bad don't we that's part of the challenge and that sort of perception of masculinity as being the strong one doesn't do us any favors in the modern world how and, and and particularly when you're a dad so what was it like going through that process as a dad wanting to like make sure you were there for the kids and be strong for the kids but also going through that pressure yourself yeah I, d I didn't get it right at the beginning um so what i did is exactly what i guess i'm recommending people don't and yeah. I um, I did what a lot of people would do, and and I just refused to to acknowledge my own loss, and I focused solely on the children's, just sort of telling people that you know it's not about me, it's about it's about me giving them everything that I can give them so that they can navigate grief and and whatever comes with it. Um, so I suppose what I tried to do is again another thing that's very typical for a lot of this is I tried to attack the situation with positivity um the problem with being um being being particularly positive is that generally what what comes along with that is a, a general intolerance for anything that isn't positive yeah. Yeah, unfortunately yeah. in life um you know we have to always consolate the opposites in that there is always a little bit of all things so uh, when you're able to work with something that's negative and and hold that and and process it and then actually makes you more human it makes you more natural and it makes you slightly more versatile i think to whatever life's going to throw at you so as a <clears throat> as a positive only person um yeah if it was something that i didn't want to deal with i was very good at just parking that up and and again it's it's suppression to an extent it's denial to an extent um uh, but it did it did help me to navigate those first few particularly tricky years. But then it builds up, right? If you're not, but then, it, then it builds up. up. You've got to pay the debt. At some point, you've got to, you've got to pay that debt that you're accruing. Don't realise that that's what you're doing as a coping mechanism. Yeah. So uh, you then get to a point where you feel like, right, I don't have to be so, I don't have to pressure myself so much about coping because it's been X amount of years. You're doing all right. The kids are good. Um, you know, obviously they're grieving and, and it doesn't mean that they're good sort of the whole time. It's, you know, it's an up and down scenario, but however, it feels like it's sustainable and that you, you know, you, you might feel like, right, I can pat myself on the back at some point. Not that I did. Um, but then you, you start to kind of look at, look at yourself and how it's impacted you and how actually a lot of your friendships are, are being, uh, have kind of gone by the wayside because you focus so much on what you need to do for them and focused, if I'm being honest, on what I was avoiding dealing with for myself, um, that that actually I, there was a lot to repair. There was a lot of damage being done. Uh, and again, that's why I, I guess that's an example of my own additional layer uh, when it comes to the measure of loss. Uh, how, how, how cathartic was writing the book in terms mm. of that? Was that part of the process? 
it was a massive, massive part of it. And I, I wanted to get something on the shelves just simply because I'd learned so much. And I, I really wanted to kind of convey that into something that was accessible for people like you and I. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't want there to be any any jargon and for it to sound like I was, you know, coming from a position of qualification. Um so I'm really proud of the book, but it also gave me the chance to sit there for six months, just focusing solely on that subject. And, um, it, you know, I, I wrote very openly about the mistakes that I'd made. And um, I guess, again, another big thing, you know, sharing your vulnerability as a man is difficult sometimes, but it is a superpower when, when you've got it, because things become instantly easier. Um, you're, you're obviously, you know, you're, you're lighter as a result. And it means that and this, this is something I learned when I did the SAS thing two years ago. And um, I, I realized that I was great at helping everyone, always really supportive because I'm all over my stuff. Um, so I can help you to be to be ready and make sure you've got the right amount of sand in your bergen or the, the, the right shoes on or that things are clean and tidy. Anyway, um, but I was always looking after everybody from the edge of the group. I was never in the middle of it or I was never one of it. I was just slightly separate. And I, I started to kind of evaluate what, what that was. And that was me keeping a, self, a safe distance. That was, that, was, um, that was me always wanting to maintain that I was doing well. Because, again, that was my whole coping strategy around positive. Activity. Uh, the problem is, is that when someone's hanging and they're absolutely struggling, um, the last person they're going to come and say that to is me because they'll think he won't understand. Oh, he won't know how I feel. So to share your vulnerability actually instantly makes you more approachable, makes 100%. people think... I'm going to tell you how I feel because I know that you're not going to turn around and tell me that I'm an idiot or make me feel inferior or stupid. Uh, so that was a massive, massive lesson to learn. And I've been sharing my vulnerability openly uh, ever since then. And it's, you know, it's been a really, yeah. really good change. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, like sort of we, as, as humans, regardless of what, you know, sort of what accomplishments we've got, it's always about saying, look, I'm not perfect. I've made so many mistakes over the years. And I think it's good, it's a good thing to say to your kids as well. So Charlotte at the minute is going through um and and I I had one of these experiences a couple of weeks ago where I really thought I'd failed as a dad, Jeff. It, it just it was so it was one of these conversations where exam pressure was getting a bit much. Um, she she was really sort of uh, uh, emotional in terms of the uh, of, of sort of being really stressed, and I just didn't know what to do. And Charlotte went upstairs, just sort of had a little cry, and I turned to Cassie like crying and saying, like, "I feel I failed because the job that's the most important to me in my life, being a good dad, I just I feel powerless." Um, uh, and and there's an element of the sort of there's an element of just turning around and saying i need help and like i mean basically cassie gave me a cover and said look we'll work through it and we have been working through it but that that admitting admitting that you're not in control of everything is so important i think because that's the element where you can actually ask for help genuinely and seriously right it sounds like not only is it a relief, but it's also that first point towards finding solution. Yeah. Um, well, it's admitting you've got a problem as well, right? You know, it's admitting it's an issue. 
it's also understand. Yes, it is that, and it's also understanding that you can't be the answer for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've so, all got we've all got our limitations, um, and it's good to it's good to be aware of those. It's good to be honest about those as well, because yeah. when you tell someone about your limitation, instead of always telling them about what you're great at, someone might actually be able to suggest something that will help your limitation be less limited. I, I, I think the other thing as well is that just that external perspective and, you know, sort of I've certainly, I've hope, I hope I've helped people with an sort of external perspective in their lives. And I know you do as a coach, but sometimes you say sometimes when you're the one that wants to help, mm. it's really difficult to ask, isn't it? You know, it's that, that's, that's the element that's, that's interesting to me. One, yeah. one thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm really loving it. I've been listening all week, by the way, in preparation for our, for our interview, has been the podcast. So mm. tell me a little bit about that and what, what was the experience like? Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I mean, what, what I love is that process of feeling like, right, okay, what, what subjects should we broach? And doing the research for those and feeling like, right, I've got a, you know, I've got a template together now, which is which is how I'm going to sort of conduct that 30-minute episode. And a lot of podcasts are, as you know, with two or three people, but this was sort of me just wanting to do 30 minutes of coach-like targeted um, discussion around a particular point and also incorporating people's questions into the, the format as well and being able to answer some of those. But, um, yeah, you learn as you do it ultimately again as a coach you never sort of i'm never delivering anything as as the expert of that subject i'm someone who has just explored it and i guess what i'm offering up is um you know how it's resonated with me but also left open uh, the idea that it, it might land differently for different people and um and that's why it's called only human because again it's that experience that we've discussed where you know what 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 does it mean to be a good human these days you know i think that i think that it's it's understanding that to be good for others you have to be good within yourself so there's always a responsibility to look after yourself um and, and how do you recognize what you need and how to go and get what what it is you need so that resourcefulness um that that, that, that can be tricky um and then you know just knowing what you you want your life's purpose to be and you know how much you want to help others as well as as helping yourself and and it yeah just helps you to to be a bit more well-rounded i think to you know to um to have those sort of discussions i enjoy you know it's like why i'm enjoying this conversation because we're talking about things that really matter we're talking about things that are gonna really resonate for people and help people to to either feel reassured or um, you know, to, to give someone a bit of perspective that will send them in a certain direction that they need to go in. That is part two, um, and Jeff was quite insightful, wasn't he? Yes. Shall we do the end? Here's the end of another podcast, but the end is never truly the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new, and the end for us is always the beginning of last week's podcast. Was what's the best April Fool's prank ever played? Stacey Keane said many moons ago, a few of us glued the wheels on a colleague's chair. My boss asked me to bank a, he- a hefty bit of cash. I got back to the office and told him they took most of the money and held it over half of it was fake notes. And he called, had to call the police to get a crime reference number. Oh, <laughs> that's taking it a bit far, isn't it? Hi. Dan Atkinson. 
Uh, can't share too much detail, but faked a financial services bulletin. This is like financial crap. Well, well, I didn't expect him to like go all fine squad on us. And sent it around a previous firm. Clearly fake was believed by a few advisors and the compliance officer. One of the fake headlines was about fitness tests for compliance office by, by the regulator, who he then phoned. The COO sat office to him, work, worked it out, and there was much laughter. I reckon we should have fitness tests for compliance officers. That would make me Well, Dan Atkins, Atkinson's got another one. Another fun but simple one was to tape a bit, a small bit of tape to a colleague's mouse over the laser. Took a long time for him to twig. Not quite as extreme as the No, one. <laughs> no, not quite as extreme. Just making stuff up in a business. That's like... Spaghetti harvest? Albacan? Well, apparently, I didn't know what the spaghetti harvest was, but spaghetti harvest is the famous BBC scam they did, saying that spaghetti grew on trees, which I had forgotten about, and they had to Google on YouTube. It is quite funny. Uh, Justin Gaffney says, when I was managing an NHS team with several international recruits, including a guy from South Africa who was always ranking people, it was his day off, so we had my PA call him all crusted saying immigration had raided the hospital and I was being held because there was an issue with his visa and I was suspected of illegally employing an undocumented immigrant. She said that he had come in straight away with his passport visa to the boardroom where I was being held. He arrived all flustered within the hour. When he walked into the boardroom, we surprised him with tea and cake and had a good laugh. A laugh? <laughs> <laughs> He's fret, Justin. I love you, mate, but you've, you've threatened somebody to be deported. Where, 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 where is the room? What? Rust, help me here, mate. Is, is deportation a laughing matter? I'm not, I'm not sure you'd associate your name with like fraudulent, uh, sorry, fake newsletters and deportation notices. <laughs> okay, I mean, okay, I like I mean, this one. I mean, just that the guy walks in, he sees the tea and cake. Is he coming? Oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm not being deported now. Is that does that suck? <laughs> Oh, that's all right. Don't worry. Oh, don't worry. Oh, we all had a good laugh. Threatened to throw me out of the country. Well, no, because they were like, oh, yeah, someone's here saying, like, they think you haven't got a visa, so just come and show us your visa and it's fine. Yeah, OK. Julian um, Bird said the, shame, the same shirt to a party. I love that one. What's that? Um, it's the one where, like, people buy their partners the same shirt and they all turn up to the party in the same shirt. Oh, that's a good one. Um, Daniel Fage said... Fagey? Fage? Fage. Fage, okay. I wasn't sure. Every day has a fall in it. The scale of what damage is done to said fall can be really, can range dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert John Reed said, in money mad oh, that's not what I wanted. How do I go back? How do I go back? <laughs> How do I go back? How do I go back? Okay, here we go. Robert John Reed said, in my money management column column column, I informed everyone that the FSA was asking you to waive files to prove compliance and to use public way bridges £5 for an ISA and £50 for a DB transfer. FSA informed me they calls for the way bridge locations. I mean, I mean, this is like wasting <laughs> genuine time. 
Like weighing your paper. Anyway. Uh, Victor Sachs said, cling film over the toilet was my finest work. They say the albums are the best. Uh, Martha Lawton said, not sure about the best, but there are three spectacular... Oh, uh, good pods? Don't know what that is. All right, okay. Well, uh, and, on that note, and on that note, we are finishing another podcast. Uh, have a lovely week. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Climate Project. Have a nice time. Bye. Bye.